Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. The World Health Organization recently declared the monkeypox outbreak as a global health emergency. Joining us to better help understand monkeypox is Dr. Jenny Yu, Head of Medical Affairs at Healthline Media. Healthline is a number one health media property in the U.S. with leading brands like Healthline.com, Medical News Today, Greatest, and Psych Central. Dr. Yu, welcome to Health Power. Thank you. So good to have you on. So I have a friend of mine who lives in California and she has two young kids and we were speaking a couple of months ago and she said, I don't think I'm going to send my kids back to school because of monkeypox. It's 2% in my area. I feel like we really need more information out there. So I'm absolutely thrilled and I can't wait to send her this interview just to give her hopefully some peace of mind or when it comes to children and school and all of that. So why don't we start with the definition of what is monkeypox? Yeah, so monkeypox is a um, type of virus that's part of the pox family. So you've heard us um, said that um, it has similarity to smallpox. So it's a um, DNA virus and it can be related to other um, animal viruses. Um, so it's part of that kind of family of pox viruses. And I think a, the big question is, is monkeypox deadly? You know, so I would say not, right? So um, they've been about um, 57,000 reported cases worldwide um, and 22 deaths. So that makes it a 0.04% death. Um, Obviously, not all countries are reporting in the way that we are, um, but the recent outbreaks in um, this country um, is is showing sort of people who are um, getting sick, in certain pockets because they have immunocompromised um, and other disease states as, as well already. So I don't think that in the sense of, you know, is monkeypox deadly? Um, it isn't in that percentage of like an Ebola virus um, or um, smallpox, um, you know, back in the day historically when we didn't have the vaccine. So I would say that it's not. And what are some of the symptoms? Yeah, so um, just like any viral illnesses, um, you know, one may get muscle and headache, right? That sort of general malaise, um, you're going to get a fever. And usually, um, you know, a day or two after the fever, um, when they start to see rashes. um, And these are sort of outbreak of um, skin lesions that are typically either on the face or um, in the extremity. So on the palms of hands or the soles of feet. Um, and then different than um, sort of smallpox and other pox viruses, um, people can also get really painful swollen lymph nodes. So lymph nodes that are, you know, in your neck, in your armpits. So um, those are sort of the general kind of symptoms um, with monkeypox. Now, are they itchy, the pox themselves? The lesions can be painful more so than itchy, um, especially as it progresses and what will happen is it'll start to blister and as it blister and kind of oozes, um, it'll became, it will become more painful and it can sort of, um, you know, be more severe in terms of more lesions popping up, um, in different parts of your um, body, but it's more painful rather than itchy. Is there any kind of topical treatment at this point, just in terms of pain relief or pain management? No. So I think, you know, if someone is suspected and, you know, having these lesions and they're not quite sure whether, you know, is this just, you know, a general sort of um, skin lesion 
of, of you know, something um, more common like an eczema or dermatitis versus a um, monkeypox lesion. I think it's important to go seek, um, you know, care of a healthcare provider and really kind of even bring the monkeypox sort of, um, you know, prevalence or incidence within the area just so that it allows providers to kind of think about that, right? Um, talk about your you know, risks and um, the potential of your risk profile and exposing yourself to a monkeypox. Um, there isn't really um, true topical for pain management, but there's, you know, just sort of general support in terms of hydration and potentially um, antivirals that can reduce, um, you know, the severity and the persistence of these skin lesions. Once you get the lesions, how long do they tend to last? Yeah, so they tend to last about two to four weeks, Ooh. right? And yeah, and then it can go through cycles where, you know, it's, um, it break, you know, it sort of breaks down and that's why you have the oozing. Um, and then before sort of a new skin layer kind of heals over, it can be up to two to four weeks. Oh, wow. That must be so tough. So I asked earlier, I, or I didn't ask, I mentioned my friend, right? Mm-hmm. She's got a, both of her kids are in elementary school. And I felt like put a mask on and send them back. What would you say to parents who are concerned about their kids and monkeypox and, and being in school. Yeah, I think, you know, um, it's hard to be, you know, a parent during this time and even just in the pandemic in terms of really um, weighing the various different, you know, risks. Um, and I, you know, have two um, girls and it's always sort of how do I think about, um, you know, uh, reducing their risk for even just getting the flu and at the time, you know, the COVID and and now, you know, with the monkeypox. Um, what I would say is that, um, it's obviously transmitted, not respiratory like COVID. Um, it's transmitted through um, close contact. And so close contact meaning, um, you know, exchanging of fluids, um, you know, when somebody has, um, you know, open lesions and their um, bodily fluid um, touches sort of your open, um, you know, a, an open skin area, um, then obviously there's still the consideration of viral load, how much you're going to get before you would get symptoms. So it's more complex than just to say you're going to get exposed and you're going to get disease. Um, and most children who've had, um, you know, the smallpox vaccine will have some protection as well. And I think that if cases, um, this is happening in certain pockets, you know, of, of communities within our country. And so I think it's good to be informed in terms of understanding, um, you know, the the rates in your area. So uh, 2% is still fairly low. And I think just to think about the child's sort of, um, kind of mental state and their growth in terms of being in school and just sort of um, maintaining a normal kind of routine of the school as we are coming out of um, pandemic is also important. I think the risks for catching um, monkeypox in a school environment is extremely low at this point. And so I think, you know, being a parent, you're just, you know, trying to sort of, you have so much information to process and analyze and weigh the risks and benefits. Um, but that's what I would reassure sort of any friend of mine with children um, to say that the risks are extremely low um, and that, you know, to, to sort of maintain um, normalcy from a school perspective and from learning perspective for children, um, those benefits outweigh sort of the risks of exposure to monkeypox at this point. Yeah, I think that's so important. So some people think mon- monkeypox is a sexually transmitted disease, but it's not. Correct. 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 It's not. 
um, not in the conventional sense, right? So it can be sexually transmissible, meaning when you're in contact with someone close and when you're exchanging body fluids, but it's not exclusively that. And this is why I think, you know, earlier on, um, you know, when we had the outbreak in this country and there was a um, concern that this is STD, it's not in that conventional sense that this is an SAT. STD. Um, it's just that it can be transmitted through bodily fluids and close contact. So that's, you know, cuddling, you know, um, you know, kissing. Um, um, so those kind of things, but not a sexually transmitted disease, correct? Yeah, I think what scares me is that it's, it's going to be stigmatized because it's more prominent in, in gay communities among men, correct? Correct. And I don't want to see a repeat of the way the AIDS epidemic, I should say, yes. wasn't handled, where yes. Ronald Reagan didn't say the word AIDS until 1985. Uh, and that concerns me. I've already seen that in some politicians who are like, oh, it's just an STD. And oh, it's just, you know, giving false information out to the public, exactly. which is very damaging and concerning and causes more homophobia, which concerns yeah. me. I'd love for you to touch on that. Yeah, I think I think when you stigmatize a disease, um, you know, it then limits treatment yep. and resources and options for people who truly need it. Um, and, you know, and then it, to- then it creates more of a public health crisis. And so I think we do need to sort of lead with, um, you know, information that is scientific and evidence-based. And then from there, um, you know, make resources and policies in such a way that treatment, vaccines, whatever not, are available um, for people who are in the higher risk category. And so that's where we have, you know, the issues when we have stigma around certain disease is that resources then um, and information becomes limited. And that's, um, you know, super um, damaging for um, people who have the disease and who need the right treatment and right information. Right. And that's why you're concerned that they're not going to be as interested in figuring it out. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just so sad. It doesn't affect, you know, um, but, but it's it's a public health crisis and it does have to be addressed. And so I think those are sort of um, what I would encourage people to think about is is the um, that, it you know, it can affect all and um, and that it's not, um, you know, it's just not certain populations. And so just like you had mentioned with how the AIDS um, you know, um, epidemic was handled initially. Um, so having more information, being empowered, more information leads to earlier prevention and treatment and resources. And that's what I would encourage sort of in um, how we handle all kind of future sort of, um, you know, transmittable, transmissible diseases like viruses. Yeah, I have a master's in public health and I've been a health educator in a number of settings. And I'm wondering, you know, during the AIDS crisis and, and even beyond, there were people going and, you know, people on the ground going into the communities and talking and, and giving information. Is any of that ha- happening with monkeypox? Are there any public health people being like, okay, here's what you need to know. Here's how do we, you know, we prevent this. Here's how to take care of yourself, that kind of thing. I do think that there, um, you know, local and perhaps some regional and state resources in terms of communities, right? So community centers um, that are out there um, giving that information. You know, I haven't actually heard um, more about this monkeypox in the news cycle as recent, um, but but I do think that um, people on the ground, um, you know, are important in terms of going out and actually um you know, they have trust relationships with, you know, um, people in their community and having that information come from trusted, um, you know, 
people um, really helps to kind of actually pass on the message. And you know this from yes. a public health standpoint. Um, and so it's important to have those um, community centers and community partners um, sort of work with, you know, state government, the CDC, health departments, whatever not, to sort of get the information out. You know, I'm a big fan of John Oliver. I don't know if you've ever last watched last week tonight, but that man does his homework. And he did a really great episode on monkeypox recently. You should check it out. You can, if you don't have HBO, you can just YouTube monkeypox, John Oliver. And I don't remember exactly, so I don't want to say this incorrectly, but I believe he said that there was a bunch of vaccine, but it went bad or something. Do you know anything about this and, and what's going on with the vaccine moving forward? Yeah, I do not. But I would say that, you know, there are vaccines available. Um, these are the smallpox vaccines. And, and I think it's one of those things where um, it's, a, it's about how we deploy, you know, the, the resources to the places that need it. And, um, and we haven't really had to think about healthcare and capacity and supply chain and resources in this way, um, in, you know, modern, um, you know, medicines time, except for when COVID happened. And so I think we got to learn from, you know, we have to learn from um, the early days of, um, you know, the COVID pandemic where, you know, um, there was just the demand out, <laughs> outweighed the supply. And so I think, you know, um, coordination of efforts, um, you know, when we declare emergencies um, about, you know, a disease state, it's really not to panic people, um, but it's really to um, sort of then set forth the coordination of efforts, you know, amongst federal, state, local government and community partners so that, you know, vaccines and supplies of treatment and medications are allocated in the right way. Um, so I, so I, that's what I would say is, you know, that's what the declaration of emergency um, declared sort of earlier on um, in the summer on this. And it's really just to coordinate efforts. And I think it's important to coordinate efforts so that, um, vaccines do not sit wasted or whatever not. So. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I think the other thing that's so difficult is, that, you know, bodily fluid. So is that saliva included? Saliva. And, and the thing is, you know, um, the outbreak in this country now is um, more involved around um, mucosal lining infections. So, you know, skin infections, lesions, you can get lesions in your mucosal lining. So that's, you know, lesions, oral lesions within your mouth. It can be in your um, GI tracts and it can make swallowing difficult, res respiration difficult. Um, and so it is saliva. Um, so I think, you know, when people are like, how do I you know, prevent myself? I think, you know, it's just a matter of you know, washing hands and, and knowing sort of people that you're are having close contact with and just their kind of behaviors and the risks that they may take and, and really having open communication and conversations around that. And I think that's the only way sort of um, to take the fear and actually make it something actionable and, and, and help to reduce, um, you know, the disease spread. Yeah, I think it's so important to come at it without any judgment, right? Like if you're yeah. saying to somebody, being promiscuous is not the way to go right now because of monkeypox, but no judgment. Yeah. And I think that's why I think I said without judgment, uh, open communication with your partners, with um, people you're close to. And I think just understanding your full kind of breadth of um, risk profile is important in terms of just how you keep yourself safe. Um, and then if you're unfortunately do get exposed then just how to seek the right care and look for information. This is why sort of, you know, 
healthline media sort of plays that role of you know being digital being online being able to provide information for people in a um you know evidence-based way um so people can feel like okay i'm getting the information i need and then what can i take as my next steps so i'm guessing even if you don't have lesions present you can still pass on so you might have can you be asymptomatic or do you usually have the headache and the fever that you had mentioned yeah, I think, you know, it goes back to sort of the viral load. Um, when you're symptomatic, that means, right, there are enough viruses in your body that your immune response fighting it and is giving you symptoms. And so when you have a higher viral load, you're going to transmit, you know, the likelihood of you transmitting it is um, is higher and just with any kind of viral illnesses. So I think asymptomatic transmission is probably um, more rare. Um, so I, you know, I will focus sort of on more just when people are symptomatic or when they just even feel like they have a viral illness and there's a potential um, risk that they had some sort of exposure that they get tested, you know, avoid contact, um, just sort of um, be a good citizen, you know, right. sort of in, in society where, um, you know, that, that they sort of limit their, um, you know, contact with the public until their sort of viral illnesses are out of the way. And that sort of helps to reduce transmission as well. You've probably heard how important it is to take probiotics. And trust me, you don't want to take just any. You want to take one that is backed by science. And the probiotic that my family and I take is Omnibiotic. These are targeted probiotics. They've got a highly effective powder delivery mechanism. They're clinically tested health benefits. They're vegan and hypoallergenic. And they're a leading European product. Let's get them to be a leading product in America. Omnibiotics' unique powder delivery mechanism ensures that 83% of good bacteria reach the desired area of the gut compared to an average of 7% in top U.S. probiotic capsule brands. So my family and I use Omnibiotic Stress Release. Now, this is a psychobiotic formulation designed to support the gut-brain axis. And what that means is that this is looking at, at memory, cognition, improving your mood. And I'll just tell you... I saw an improvement in my mood and my daughter saw improvement in her mood and also a reduction in anxiety. And that is huge. When you can do something natural to help your brain, I love that. Not only is Omnibiotic incredible, you will get 15% off when you order through their website, www.omnibioticlife.com. Just use the code Lisa Davis 15. Check them out. Get Omnibiotic today. I'm telling you, it is a game changer. You want to go to www.omnibioticlife.com. That's O-M-N-I-B-I-O-T-I-C-L-I-F-E.com. This is so exciting. Now, when you talk about reducing the contact with the public, so let's say I have somebody in my house who has monkeypox. Now, do they have to be quarantined like somebody with COVID or is it different? It's just like, don't hug me. Uh, I can't breathe on you and give it to you, but let's just, you know. Yeah, it's not, um, it's not sort of the early days of, you know, um, quarantining in a room and, and not sort of sharing that kind of, you know, airspace, right? Um, it's more just from a fluid standpoint. So even if, um, you know, they have open lesions, there's fluid exchange, um, then, then there's the uh, recommendation of just wiping down services, making sure linens, bed linens, towels, etc. washed. Um, and that's sort of the contact. So if you have someone in your house, you can still take care of that person, um, but just precaution in terms of, you know, perhaps wearing gloves, washing, you know, washing your hands more often, and then being able to wash the sort of exposed, um, you know, bed linens and towels and wiping down. So those, those would be the recommendations. 
So who should get vaccinated? The CDC has these recommendations that essentially, you know, people who have been identified by public health officials as, you know, they've had contact with someone with a monkeypox from tracing and whatnot. Um, people who maybe have no one of their sexual partners in the past two weeks that feels like they've been diagnosed with monkeypox or they potentially had an exposure. Um, and then people who have had multiple sexual partners in the past two weeks in an area with no monkeypox or more of a um, higher rate. So those are kind of, you know, very specific um, groups of people that the CDC recommended as the folks that should get vaccinations. So still really the higher risk folks um, at this point should think about vaccinations. Okay. And speaking of vaccinations, and I think you touched on this, but I just want to make sure there is currently a vaccination. Yeah, there are two, um, you know, and there are two that are um, the, you know, smallpox vaccines or smallpox vaccines that work against monkeypox, especially for someone who's been exposed or, um, like we just mentioned about, you know, being higher risk, um, category. Um, and I think they are available. And I think the recommendation also is a small, a smallpox vaccine that is more readily available can also have some cross reactivity and protection. And so for people who, you know, feel like they can, um, they can't get the right kind of vaccine. It's still always good to seek out the advice of the local public health departments along with your healthcare provider um, to understand sort of the, the supply in your area. Um, the CDC now also has a way where you can go on their website, type in your zip code and, um, and find the re- um, and use that as a resource to find uh, the availability of, of vaccines in your area. So that's a nice resource to have as well. Now, you just mentioned that if you have had the smallpox, smallpox, excuse me, vaccine, that's going to help. I had heard that if you had it before 1972, then you're immune to monkeypox. But I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. So so folks who haven't had, you know, and actually my husband fell in that category where he um, hadn't had the smallpox vaccine and was traveling abroad and so he ended up you know having the in the booster but um but having the vaccine in place um you know the the immune system is very complex and their um memory um to an immune sort of response and so i think you know even though that seems like hey when you had it in your 70s seems such a long time that how can you still you know infer immune protection um but the immune system is such a complex um and with memory um to response that that is the truth so oh that's interesting is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? Because I, I have questions, but I just want to make sure that you get to talk about things that you really wanted to focus on as well in regards yeah, to no, I, 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 Yeah, and I think, I think you know, we mentioned this a bit, and I think um, I would just want to encourage people to be reassured. You know, we, we have viruses living all around us, and the pandemic certainly um, has caused a lot of, you know, um, concern and worry for people um, that never used to pay attention to viruses. But we're now collectively as a world, um, our minds are frayed and, you know, and we're, we're thinking about this, um, that to seek information, right, and to take your fear and, and, and really use um, trusted sources of information and to help you and guide you in, in deciding kind of your risks and what you're willing to, um, you know, engage in and whatnot, um, just like your friend with, the, with, with her kids. And, um, and that's such an important thing um, because our mental health is also something that is a consequence of um, when we have 
um, ongoing stress over, um, you know, anything that's happening around us. And so um, that's something I want to just mention as part of this as well. Yeah, it's such a stressful time. (laughs) I mean, it, you know, I'm still wearing my mask, by the way, for COVID. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it really depends on, you know, how risk averse you are. And, you know, having a mask in crowded public transportation, you know, crowded public places, um, you know, it doesn't hurt. And so I think it is up to everyone in deciding um, how they want to sort of re-engage as they, you know, sort of re-emerge from our, uh, from the pandemic. And so I think, um, you know, you, you imagine, um, patients, folks who have had immunocompromised states, whether they're undergoing cancer treatment or whatnot, they've always worn a mask, right, on airplanes and different right. things. And so whatever your risk profile is, your health issues, um, you know, you got you to gotta take care of yourself. So whatever feels right for, for the person, um, a mask, is, it doesn't hurt you. Well, I think wearing a mask during cold and flu season would be helpful as well, right? I mean, just yes. to... <laughs> Like my daughter is sick right now. And I was like, yeah. I've already been, ex- I mean, I've been around her so much. I don't even think it's, I'm either going to get it or not. Right. But if I'm out and about and I can put my mask on and when people are sneezing and coughing all around me from the cold or the flu, why not? Exactly. Yep. So that will help. Okay. Yeah, that will help. <laughs> and people are still getting COVID, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're always going to get numbers around COVID. And so, um, and you will you'll sort of go through that cycles of peaks just like flu and cold season and so you know when you can't risk you know being sick for whatever your personal reasons are having a mask um, in these confined spaces makes sense yeah i think so too well dr Yu, i'm so glad you came on the show i think this was really informative and i really hope people can look past their biases and be kind-hearted and no matter who's being affected this is a terrible thing and we should all care a bit a lot more about each other. I just like to say, especially during these trying times, tell us all the ways we can learn more about you and Healthline and monkeypox. That would be great. Yeah. So if people want to seek out more resources about monkeypox, um, you know, healthline.com and then medicalnewstoday.com. These are um, psychcentral.com. These are all properties of Healthline Media um, that really, um, you know, go through a very rigorous process of um, providing evidence-based information in a really relatable way for people so that um, it makes sense for them as they're reading this information. Um, And, um, and I just encourage people to use um, trusted sites such as Healthline um, to obtain their health information. Good. I'm just going to ask you one more question, which I meant to ask you earlier. When did you know that you wanted to become a doctor? Um, very young. Um, you know, I, I, I liked actually just being able to help people um, and realize that, you know, I um, being able to help someone, being able to, you know, put a smile on someone's face, um, is, is rewarding for me. And so, um, I, I actually was trying to decide between whether I wanted to be a journalist, um, tell a story versus being a doctor. And so now being in this role with Healthline Media actually helps me to use my medical knowledge, um, but also, um, help to tell the story for folks. So look at that. It all worked out. That's (laughs) awesome. I love that. All right. Well, on that, Good note. We are going to go, but please keep coming back to Health Power. If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me at Lisa Davis MPH.
Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.